What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Welcome to Bengals Shock Talk. I am Matt Minnick. Obviously, I'm a Bengals fan. You all know it. But what you may not know is that I'm also a two-time graduate of South Dakota State University. My guest today is a Steelers fan. He covers the Steelers, and he is a graduate of North Dakota State University. In other words, he is my sworn enemy and arch nemesis. It is Neil Coolong. Neil, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing very well. I'm just bummed we don't have a Bison Jacks game coming up here anytime soon. But I can I can wait until next year and we'll just deal with a couple Steelers Bengals games in which to hate each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, disappointing. I know the the Bison at least got one game in. Uh, you know, quick little one game season for uh, uh, for Trey Lansing Company down uh, up there. So. That must have been interesting, all that practice time going into competing in one game. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll touch on Trey a little bit later because uh, he is going to be a, a hot name this spring as we get into the draft. Uh, first, let's talk about the, the Steelers. So you write for uh, NFL Wire, Steelers Wire. Uh, the Steelers are undefeated. They are the last undefeated team in the NFL and this is the first time in history, I believe, that they have gone eight and zero. I mean, are you getting sixteen and zero hype from the fan base yet? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'd say no. I, <laughs> the games have been competitive enough; uh, they've been close enough, and we've seen plenty of cracks in the Steelers' armor to this point to know that this isn't a sixteen and zero team. Um, it, they, they. I don't think they're dominant enough to do that, but at the same time, I mean, your, your point is to go one and know that week and, and they've done obviously a great job of that. They're on schedule for that. Uh, they, they've got a couple losses coming this season. I, I don't think they're that much better uh, than any other team in the NFL. I probably would have put them at about five and three at this point, And I would have been happy about that. Um, maybe six and two, most optimistically, they're a good football team. They, they've still got a ways to go. And they're in some areas they've improved in some areas. And, and we saw it a lot last week. They regressed a little bit. Um, that's, that's life in the NFL though. You know, you're not going to blow everybody out. Um, you're not going to win every game either. So I, I think the fan base is aware that this, you know, they probably, uh, they, they got away with a few games. They probably should have lost. I, I think um, Dallas at full strength uh, probably wins that game last week. More often than not, uh, really not a very well-played game by the Steelers. And the Steelers haven't put together four quarters of, of outstanding football outside of a game against Cleveland, which you know there, there might have been a, some animosity built into that one. They, they haven't played a, a complete game other than that. But the big thing with them is I, I think this is really what they wanted to build uh, in the post 
uh, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell fantasy football era of, of Steelers offensive football. They, they wanted to have a, a character laden team. They wanted to have a balanced team and they're able to do uh, a lot of things with a lot of different people. It's not any one guy. You know, I would even go as far as to say this point um, in the season, I don't think they have a pro bowler on offense and they're scoring 30 points a game. That That's not something I would have anticipated. Uh, they're, they're getting it done in a lot of different ways. Um, it, it, you're you're happy to see it. Certainly, you're you're happy with the results. Uh, they've they've got a ways to go yet. If, if this this isn't like a Baltimore team that caught fire in the second half of last season and just rolled over everybody, they're they're a competitive team. Probably twelve and four, thirteen and three with with the start that they've had, uh, and they they can they can beat a few teams in the AFC in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm not uh, thinking. This is, you know, an unstoppable matchup right now. They're going to lose. And certainly the division is still up for grabs with another game against a, a very good Baltimore team uh, that took a lot to, to beat them uh, when they played them two weeks ago. So there, there are a lot of good things coming out of Pittsburgh right now, but they're, they're still, you know, certainly in situational football, they've got a lot of things they still need to work on. Well, I mean, it's funny to say this about an undefeated team, but you mentioned some of the issues that they have. Do you think that they're they're growing or, I mean, being that they're undefeated, sometimes that can be a, a really tough mental block for, for a coaching staff to say, hey, we need to work on these things. Um, even if the players mean the best, you know, sometimes it's like, well, sure, I'll work on it because he told me to, but we're undefeated. We're, you know, we're going all the way. Uh, do you think they're taking the, the steps they need to, to be a, a real competitor when it comes to the playoffs? I, I sure hope so, just because you really can't watch the film back of that Dallas game and be overly happy uh, with what you saw. That that's a that's a weakened Dallas team. And I'll I'll, I'll say this: you have to give Garrett Gilbert a, a lot of credit. Um, I, I that kid played his butt off. I I really enjoyed watching him play. At the end, though, you you saw something I I don't think you see very much of in the NFL. It, it, he didn't fear the stage at all. He didn't fear the moment that he was in and he attacked it aggressively by the end of it though. You could just tell this is the reason why he's a fourth string quarterback in the NFL. He, he's not going to be on a roster for all that much longer. He just didn't have the physical ability. And it, I don't think it would have taken a, a, a hugely better quarterback to have beaten the Steelers last week. Um, I, I'm not going to say he cost them the game, but he missed on a couple things that if he hit in Dallas, probably wins the game um that I mean, said it, you know for for one that interception uh, i believe it was in the fourth quarter he threw an interception in the end zone you know they they come away with at least a field goal there they're they're in a better they're in a better spot they come up with a touchdown there um it might have been too too high of a hill to climb for the steelers yeah i think so certainly um and it, it, it i wouldn't say it was necessarily a bad interception but he was getting crushed when he threw it uh, again, you kind of see that bravado that he had. He he wasn't fearing anything. He was he was getting that ball downfield and he was zipping it. Um, that one in particular, he was getting hit while he while he released it and he put it in the area of you know probably the best ball hawking safety in the NFL. Not a good decision. And he had a couple plays like that in that game. Um, you you love his moxie. You love what he brought to the team, and you could see his players were rallying around him. They were hot in the first half. That that was not a team um, you would have expected. To, to come out and play like uh, without their starting quarterback uh, beat up on, on both sides of the ball uh, hampered running game. Uh, Mike McCarthy is their coach. All these things played into uh, what you'd think would be a team that resembled their record, but that's not how they played. Um, exactly. If you want to, if, if you want to blow a game as a, a, a heavy 
road favorite, you're going to turn the ball over and you're going to make special teams mistakes. The Steelers probably could have turned the ball over a couple times uh, early on in that game. Um, were able to avoid that, but they were atrocious on special teams. Dallas destroyed them on special teams. And that that's really what kept the game. I mean, they kept flipping the field, um, putting a, a, a fourth-string quarterback in the position to make a couple simple plays to put points on the board, and then you're playing from behind the rest of the game. They, they lost their, their talent advantage uh, by points on the scoreboard. And that that's something that you if you're Mike Tomlin, you're really not happy that those things happened, to put it mildly. Um, they're a better team than Dallas is. I don't think Dallas competes with them more than four times out of ten. But that's the nature of the NFL. You're really not that far top to bottom. I mean, there isn't a great gap between those two. And Dallas is is a beat up team. They're probably at, at, at best a top ten drafting team. Uh, but they're they're professionals too. They get paid too. They they have a the element of surprise uh, on their side. And they came out with with a good game plan uh, to really, you know, they, they put pressure on Roethlisberger. They shut down the run game, especially early on. They won early downs. Like they, I, I forgot, technically, they did turn the ball over. The Steelers went forward and forth and in short, and mm-hmm. again failed to convert because they they can't run for a yard behind the, the formations that they have for whatever reason. Uh, Dallas capitalized on that. You know that that can happen. Um, that's that's you know the nature of football in the, at the NFL level. Um, it. it, it Knowing all of that, having watched that, uh, a lot of what you heard from the Steelers players this week is is what you probably want to hear as a coach. Uh, sure, we're undefeated. It's great to be at the point that we're at, but we've got work that we need to do. We know there are things we need to do. And in, in terms of situational football, you know, the, the, the third and fourth and shorts on offense, they've been terrible at this season. That's going to have to improve. Um, Mental mistakes. Uh, Chase Claypool even came out and said this. They had a chance to really wrap the game up. He goes down ahead of the, the first down stick, staying in bounds this time, whereas on the, the previous drive, they have the opportunity to, to kill a bunch of clock, and he goes out of bounds. Um, things like that, they, they haven't been great at, at this season. Little small detail things from younger players that they're getting on the field, that, that's hurting them. That's going to hold them back, and eventually it's going to lose them a game. You know, And that, that's sort of what you have to accept as a coaching staff, uh, considering how many younger guys they need to get out on the field. Um, there, there are things that they can improve on and they're going to have to, um, if they want to back it up. But I, I, I absolutely don't see them going eight. No, in the second half of the season. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a loss here on Sunday, even. All right. You hear it, heard it here first. Uh, Neil Coulon calling a Bengals win this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, no. Nobody you know, would have called you, you, the Dallas game being what it was either, and I, I yeah. thought it, it's probably going to be more competitive than people think. You know, it, it, they're they're not a juggernaut. Their record is without question the best thing they have going for them right now. Yeah, and, and you mentioned some of the the miscues and just little you know little things that were off. Um, you know, on the Steelers' first drive, they had third and ten, I believe, at midfield, and Ben took a shot to uh to chase claypool down the sideline and it i mean it looked like it just went through his hands so i mean there's a there's a young guy whatever he lost it in the lights or whatever happened but that could have changed the entire script of the game and the way things were going if they uh would have been able to connect on that so um that's what it seems like watching the steelers is is sometimes ben's not hitting his guys but once he starts hitting them you're in trouble yeah, so you better you better score enough points before uh, before they get to that point. Um, on on to Ben. Uh, so so what is his status right now? I know he was he was a little banged up in that game. We 
We saw a little bit of Mason Rudolph, and now he's on the COVID list. Uh, what, what's his outlook for this weekend? I'll, I'll say this. I, I, Mike Tomlin is as strict a by-the-book, by-the-letter-of-the-law coach as you're going to see as far as the off-the-field management um, piece of, of his job. There's no way around them, probably. There's no way around them not putting Ben um, – in in uh, the exposure side of of the protocol, um, his locker is next to Vance McDonald's. The the player tested positive for COVID, um, who was ill at practice uh, the mm. the previous week. Um, it, he's next to him on the plane. It, really, there's no way they're not going to be able to put Roethlisberger in into quarantine for five days, as per the the protocol of the NFL. That said, we also know that Roethlisberger didn't suffer just one knee injury. He hurt both of his knees in that game. Mm-hmm. So my thought more than anything is it, it's kind of a gratuitous situation in which they, they are able to kind of hide Roethlisberger from the injury report. They don't have to report on the status <laughs> of his knee. So that said, um, I don't, if, if he was around McDonald and yes, there, there's an incubation period that comes with COVID-19, but uh, he's testing positive otherwise, or he's testing negative. Otherwise we would have heard about this uh, by now. Um I the injury concern, I think, is really more of what Pittsburgh's looking at. I'm not sure how much he would have practiced anyway. So there, there's a way to kind of play cat and mouse with the injury report there, and I think the Steelers are exploiting that loophole. So I, I'm not sure what Roethlisberger we're going to get. I'm, I'm positive he's going to play uh, because that's Ben, and, and you know, it, COVID can keep him out of a game, but two knee injuries aren't going to keep him out of a start. He's going to get out there and play. Uh, incidentally, it's five, it's the five-year anniversary of the game that he did not start, and Landry Jones hurt himself five plays into it and came in and was Offensive Player of the Week in a, a huge win over Cleveland back in 2015. Um, he, he's done that before, but he's not going to miss a start unless he absolutely has to. If he's not going to miss two in a row, he's not going to miss one. So uh, I think you're going to see Ben out there. The question is, how healthy is he? Not from a COVID perspective, even though that's what everyone's going to be talking about. Watch how he moves. You look at the second half uh, against Dallas. He wasn't straying far from the pocket at all, if if at all. He was releasing the ball early, and it gave Dallas an opportunity to come up a bit more, uh, choke out the running game, which is what they did, and eliminate a lot of the under, underneath stuff, which is what uh, Pittsburgh has done um, to, to set up the rest of their offense. Um, it, newsflash, and I'm sure you've seen this, the Steelers can't throw the ball downfield to save their lives. They're, they're, Roethlisberger has been horribly inaccurate uh, in, in, in that phase of the game. You get Ch- uh, Claypool uh, misjudging passes, missing stuff down the field. Uh, they, they're going to hit a few here and there like every team will, but it, it's not been a weapon for them at all. They, they're not doing well in that regard. Um, it takes the run after the catch. It takes setting guys up. It takes you know blown coverage like we saw against Baltimore for the Steelers to get splash plays on offense. And they're able to lull you into that uh, over time because Roethlisberger gets hot. He's able to complete seven, eight passes in a row, and then he's got you. But he's not opening stuff up 40 yards down the field throwing the ball. If he's got two bum knees going into this game, uh, he's not going to be able to throw deep. So if, if anything, what Cincinnati is going to look at is crowding the line, completely taking away that run game, which I, isn't all that hard to do against the Steelers at this point, and making Roethlisberger complete 11 passes on a drive to score a touchdown. Uh, they're capable of doing that, but it's not going to be easy for the Steelers offensively, uh, regardless of what Cincinnati has done to this point defensively. Uh, I, I don't think this is at all a, a, a simple show-up-and-win type of game for the Steelers. You know, the Steelers have 
been known for having a really good offensive line year in and year out. Uh, And you think of them still in terms of the old school AFC North, even AFC Central, uh, you know, know, being able to pound the ball uh, and and get those dirty yards on the ground. Uh, But, you know, as you said, they're not running the ball very well. I mean, Ben is similar to what a lot of Bengals games turn into. Uh, Roethlisberger's spreading the ball out. Uh, and, he, and he's chucking it, and they're and they're picking up yards. It's uh, uh, almost almost seven on seven flag football, kind of from from an offensive standpoint, uh, the way they spread it out and pass. So what's what's going on uh, with the offensive line slash running backs? You know why why has it not been as effective as it has been in years past? I think you've got some challenges just in terms of transition. Um, their 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 plan starting. Uh, uh, right tackle for the season goes down early in week one. Uh, he hasn't played um, that. That was Zach Banner who tore his ACL uh, out for the year. Um, Chuck Sikorafor is the guy who took over right tackle and he's done a, a, a really good job, but you have to look at it as which one of these guys was going to start. This is the guy they didn't pick to start and he's doing really well. So the question is, all right, well, does that mean that Banner is an all pro or does that mean that, that they made the wrong decision? That kind of thing is what comes to mind when I look across the entire offensive line. Do, do they have the right combination of guys to put either Banner or a core for it right tackle? They had to kick Matt Filer inside. So Matt Filer now replaces Ramon Foster, who's an underrated veteran, um, an excellent player in many ways, who chose to retire as opposed to, to uh, you know play for another team this season, which he was probably going to have to do. The Steelers were going to have to move on. So you've got new new players at two positions, and you can argue it's the third player among two positions that's new to their lineup. Along with that, David DeCastro has missed time, which brought a rookie fourth-round pick, Kevin Dotson, in to start a couple games for them. Uh, Morquise Pouncey has been banged up a little bit, and Alejandro Villanueva at left tackle has been kind of up and down. So it, it's this is an odd transition year for a team that's had, you know, generally speaking, uh, one of the best, if not the best offensive lines in the game since about 2014. They've done a great job investing in that. They've coached it very well. And they've put a bunch of guys uh, who were backups in Pittsburgh into starting roles um, with other teams. I'm not sure. I, I haven't checked. I'm not sure what, what uh, B.J. Finney is doing for you guys there in Cincinnati. But he was a good player. Uh, in my opinion, he was a starting caliber player. I'm not really sure what the problem was in Seattle. But when has Seattle done anything that makes sense on their offensive line? Things like that, you you have a lot of those players across the NFL uh, over the last six, seven years. Backups in Pittsburgh who went on to get, uh, in some cases, starter contracts with other teams in the NFL. So there, there's been talent there. I think right now it's just a, a combination of a lot of different things that's worked against them. And if anything, um, you, you've got issues with uh, you know, kind of a, a power run scheme that they wanted to implement this season. Uh, they, they went out and signed Derek Watt, uh, you know, for a pretty good chunk of change for a player that is either going to play, you know, 12 snaps as a fullback a, a game and be a special teams king or not really do anything. So you, you kind of have to think he'd be in there more. He'd be more involved, but he's been hurt. So uh, if, if they wanted to run a power scheme, they, they probably plan to do it with a fullback. Uh, that they don't have if Watt isn't there, and he hasn't been there for half the season. So um, I, I don't think they're playing with their best combination of players. They, they don't have the availability of all the packages that they wanted to use. Um, it, maybe that hasn't been ideal for them, but the bottom line is this team can't block. They're not a power team at all. They're, they're a finesse team running zone. I'm not sure if they have the right running backs to do that. Uh, I'm not sure if they have the, the offensive linemen really to do that. That's why you're seeing – 
uh, two plays, fourth and one, fourth and two. Uh, they're running pistol with the running back next to the quarterback, and it seems like it's an RPO. And it, it, they're, if they're running run pass option with Ben Roethlisberger, he is without question the slowest to recognize where he needs to go with the ball. I've, I've seen at the NFL level. I'm not sure if it's him just trying to play cat and mouse with the defense, but they're horrible at it. And the, the, the fourth and short that we saw in the fourth quarter against Dallas, uh, a play that first down wins the game, um, you know, missing it gives Dallas a chance to, to drive the length of the field for, for the win, which is, you know, basically the same situation uh, that they had against Baltimore the, the week prior to it. And they got stuffed. I mean, it was not even close. It took them three and a half seconds to hand the ball off. It's like, well, it doesn't matter what you're doing at that point. It doesn't matter what your blocking scheme is or, or what your offensive line is doing. You're not gaining yards if it takes you that long to run the play. <laughs> so they've had issues with a variety of different things when it comes to those situations. It's not just the offensive line. Uh, it's not just the running back. But at the same time, in the aggregate, it's everything. Um, I, I think Connor has, has played pretty well. Uh, overall, I don't think Connor is a great running back. I think he's a reasonable NFL running back, and I think he's a guy that's going to get paid next year by somebody uh, to to do what he's doing now. Um, they don't the the depth behind him has not really shown itself to be excellent. Um, you're not seeing great things out of um, Snell. Uh, it, they want him to be the pounder, the the short yardage guy. I don't think he's really lived up to that. Um, Anthony McFarland's a guy that they drafted. Um, in, in an effort to provide explosive playmaking ability. I'm not sure if he's done that to a huge degree to this point. Uh, he gets some opportunity to do it. And I, I forgot up until he was placed on, on the, the COVID list that Jalen Samuels was still on the team. So <laughs> it, it's not a situation where they have marquee talent uh, at, the running, at the running back positions and that that's not becoming a, a huge factor in their offense. And with that, I don't think their offensive line uh, scheme-wise is doing what they would need to do to run the ball effectively in a modern NFL offense, which is really what they're trying to implement this season. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Do you think uh, uh no longer being there, uh, being in Denver uh, as the offensive line coach, do you think that had an impact on what's going on with the offensive line, or or is it just really the situation? I'll I'll say this, um, Mike Munche, My experience in in covering NFL teams, which is not extensive by any means, but I didn't see a better coach than Mike Munchak anywhere. Um, you those guys responded to him. If, if you're a you're a coach, you want to be like Mike Munchak. You want the attention that he was able to draw from the guys who were out there. Um, he, he was a, an excellent coach. 
And I, a, a guy that personally I think could have been a, a successful uh, head coach as well, if that's what he wanted to do. But <clears throat> excuse me, with him, it was always, I want to coach the offensive line. This is where I'm best. This is where I want to be very much a team guy. And I, I think certainly he'd take the money if somebody wants to, to offer him, you know, $10 million a year, but he really wanted to be an offensive line coach. Um, it was a personal reason for him going to Denver. He definitely didn't want to leave Pittsburgh. He loved the situation that he had, and it was a good one. Um, they, they treated him very, very well. He was paid very well, and he had, he had an excellent group of players around him. They listened to everything that he said. They brought in the guys that they wanted. They kept the guys that he wanted. Uh, they paid the guys that he wanted to stay, whatever it is that they had to pay him to stay. Um, he had a great situation in Pittsburgh. That whole time, though, Sean Serrett, uh, who's now their offensive line coach, he was the guy who took over uh, for Jack Bicknell, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with him, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it, let's just say that he was not my he, he was he was anti Mike Munchak in many ways to the point where what I heard inside the team was they basically told Bicknell to sit in the corner for the rest of the season. Sarrett was taking over, so it, it, Sean Sarrett is very familiar with the organization and the franchise. They had a lot of respect for him, and I believe I didn't time this exactly, but it was approximately two and a half to three minutes that went by after Munchak announced that he was signed with Denver, that the team announced that they hired Sarrett as their offensive line coach. So there, there was no doubt what they were going to do uh, with that move. And a guy like Munchak, a, a good position coach, they, they can write their own way. You know, you, you have to respect that about him. Uh, still though, I I'll, I'll stand by this forever. He, he's the best coach I've ever seen. And just watching him interact with the players, what he taught, and then you see it on the field. The, the, you, you have to understand that the Steelers' offensive line was a dumpster fire from, from 2011 to 2013. It was horrendously bad. I mean, just embarrassingly bad. Uh, Munchak came in that, in, that changed entirely in one year. They, they went from the worst to the best unit in the league. You don't see that in the NFL very often. It just, it, it's a testament to how good of a communicator, how good of a leader, and obviously how knowledgeable uh, Munchak is, how to, to, to teach the position as well as he did. And those guys to this day, they take a bat to your head if you said anything uh, wrong about Mike Munchak. Sarrett is not Munchak, but Sarrett, is, he has that level of respect within the organization. He's done a great job. Um, they don't have... The, the same level of talent that they've had. And keep in mind too, Pouncey has missed time. DeCastro has missed time. That's their line. You know, that, that's mm -hmm. the heart and soul of what they're trying to do. Um, and you've got, you know, brand new, two brand new right tackles and a guy that was undrafted free agent who was brought in to play guard, played tackle, went back to guard. Uh, Matt Filer's played a bunch of different positions. Filer, by the way, a star pupil of Munchak. He's a guy that he kept from the beginning, very much like Finney, an undrafted guy that played multiple positions and eventually became a starter in the NFL. Um, it, it, Filer, I think, is a better pass protector inside. We saw that last year when the thought was uh, before the Rams game that Filer was more of an athlete uh, in, in Ramon Foster's absence. So they moved him to, to left guard to help with Aaron Donald. And Aaron Donald, like everybody else, just completely shelled him. And you, you, you can see that, you know, Filer is probably not, you know, a, a high end athlete, but he's good enough uh, to be able to do the things that he needs to do because he's smart. Uh, they, they do the right things. Uh, they're just sometimes physically overmatched one-on-one uh, -on -one in the run game. And that's what you get when you have a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, inexperienced and or undrafted players starting across your offensive line. You're, you're going to experience those kinds of things. I think Sarah has done well. It really is just a, a, a rebuilding point for a group that pretty remarkably 
uh, was kept together as long as it was. They went three seasons without making a change to anybody in, in their starting lineup. You don't see that very often. And no, the results crazy. the results were palpable. I mean, they, they were they were an excellent unit. Um, they can still pass protect pretty well, and part of that is Roethlisberger getting rid of the ball uh, fairly quickly. But they're they're struggling on the ground. I, I think that's going to be a, a point of emphasis uh, in practice this week, and we'll, we'll we'll see what comes of that. But I, I think Sarah's an excellent coach. Um, best of luck to, to Mike Munchak as he's got kind of a, an interesting situation going on in Denver, but I think overall, um, the, the foundation was laid by an excellent coach. And I I think uh, the Steelers have built another one, um, and they'll, they'll get back to where they were before sooner rather than later. Yeah. If, if, uh, things go bad in Denver, Munchak will not be unemployed very long. Uh, you know, that's the, that's the thing. A good old line coach, uh, can find work pretty quickly. Uh, you mentioned Jack Bicknell in there. Uh, he's actually the brother of Bengals wide receivers coach Bob McNeil, uh, Bicknell. Um, and that's a name that I've heard some Bengals fans throw out uh, when they were complaining about our offensive line and talking about people that could uh, <laughs> they could come in to be the coach. So uh, not a strong endorsement from the Steelers of, of Jack Bicknell yeah. Jr. Uh, right there. Coming from Pittsburgh, coming from Pittsburgh, please Please hire Jack Bicknell. I don't, <laughs> I don't even think he's in the NFL anymore. I mean, he. he I believe he's at he, Auburn now. He's he was somewhere in the SEC for sure. Oh boy, uh, yeah, have fun. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Have fun. So, let's shift over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I we didn't really talk about the receivers, but I think everybody knows about Juju. Everybody knows Chase. Um, of course, you know, especially in Ohio, people know about Deontay. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball. It, seems like they've had a little trouble stopping the run, too. And with the talent they have in that defensive front, particularly Cameron Hayward would be the guy I'd point to uh, in terms of stopping the run. But, uh, you know, TJ's really, really good uh, against the run as well. Why uh, why are they having some struggles in that area? You know, you know what's crazy? Um, the, the biggest part of, of those struggles is the fact that the one guy you don't talk about among that defense uh, Tyson Alulu hasn't been in, and that honestly, it, it, as as simplified as this sounds, even though it's not fair to to put it this way, his presence this season it, it, it's been remarkable. I mean, it, it's crazy to see him over the first you know six games when he was playing. He's really good. I mean, he, he, much much better nose tackle I think than what uh, fans would have thought. He really was a, a utility. Um, defensive lineman. He uh, he was in at defensive end last season when Stephon Tuitt was hurt, and he, he held himself up pretty well. Uh, he replaced Javon Hargrave at nose tackle this season. He's a beast. I mean, I, I think he's better than Hargrave is. Um, he, he was playing a, an excellent level of football uh, up until he got hurt. He went down, and the wheels fell off. I mean, I, I don't know how many times in history you've seen what looked like truly a, a historic level of run defense. Uh, for a team that drops suddenly to among the worst units in the league. That's exactly what happened with Pittsburgh. They got, they've been absolutely destroyed on the ground the last two weeks. Embarrassingly. So they gave up what, well over 200, close to 300 to Baltimore in a win. Dallas destroyed them with Elliott only getting, you know, a couple touches. Um, Alu he, he was playing at a very high level. And I, it, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that uh, Devin Bush is in there. And their inside linebacking position was deemed so dire after Bush's absence that they traded away assets uh, and took on more cash, which they don't really have a whole lot of cap space next season anyway, uh, to acquire Avery Williamson um, from from the Jets. 
those are moves that they needed to make, and I understand that. But the absence of both Bush and Alualu, you're you're looking at a, a depleted unit. They're not able to do the things that they've been doing it, it, without that, you know, kind of anchor in the middle. Uh, Lulu was getting pressure. He, he shut the rundown um, very much. You know, I don't want to say single-handedly, but it opened things up for everybody else who's there. Cam Hayward is, is maybe the most underrated player in the league. Uh, he's a dominant player. He can't do everything if they're running away from him. Um, you, you see both TJ Watt and Bud Dupree, two of the better edge defenders you're going to see in the NFL. They're not able to do much when a team is able to just run past them um, on most plays. They're guessing. And we've seen Watt, um, a couple times the last two weeks, he's guessing inside. They're running right around him. They're starting to key on him because he doesn't have that interior support. They're not cutting off the angle uh, on that run game the way that they have in the past. And that, to me, that that's directly attributed to the fact that Alulu isn't in there. They've got Isaiah Bugs, um, who's not a sensational player by any means. He's still a young guy. Uh, they have a seventh round rookie playing. Um, they've they've got. Uh, uh, Henry Mondu, a player I've never even heard of before, uh, he's getting in there and getting whipped. These aren't good things, and it really is a domino effect uh, to the fact that Alulu isn't in there. They don't have a player that can do as many things as he can. So, putting all that together, um, their run defense is susceptible. You know, I, I don't know how good Cincinnati is, you know, really running the ball or how much they they seem to want to run the ball, but that that's an advantage that they have. I, I don't think the Steelers' run defense is going to scare anybody. Uh, until Alulu is back in there and healthy. And I, I, as we sit here now, um, he might play, but he's not going to be 100%. And to me, that, that's going to be the key of the game. Cincinnati can control that the way that Baltimore and Dallas did, and it took a Herculean effort in the fourth quarter for the Steelers to win both of those games. So I, I, I certainly think you know at some point that's not going to work for them, not going to work as well for them. Uh, they're, they're susceptible, and it, it's going to be, you know, in, in my opinion, I'll, I'll put this out here now, if Cincinnati wins this game, it's going to be because the Steelers didn't stop the run and that that's just really what should have happened the last two weeks in a lot of ways. I, I think Cincinnati has an opportunity largely because of that hole in the middle of the field for the Steelers. I would say that at this point, Bengals fans, we believe that we are in every game because of Joe Burrow and, uh, you know, the run game has, has struggled. Uh, Mixon had a really good game against, Jacksonville, who's not very good, um, but yeah, I mean, if 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 Mixon gets a hundred yards and they win this game, like that, really changes some some attitudes, uh, you know, within the within the fan base about some of the things that are going on. Uh, Mixon may or may not be back, but he was he was practicing, um, and you know, last year they they all of a sudden figured out how to run block after the bye week, so. Maybe maybe it's the same sort of thing this year. Uh, no no telling with this team. Uh, you mentioned uh, Hayward and uh, watching that Cowboys game. Pretty much any time the Cowboys ran the ball and it was a positive for the Steelers, one or two, one of two things happened. Watt ran it down from behind because they're stupid and didn't block the backside edge player, uh, <laughs> or or Hayward just just like threw the guard out of the way and decided to make a tackle for a loss. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't chart that or anything, but that, that definitely seemed like the majority of the time, if it was uh, a win for the defense, it was one of those two players uh, just, just stepping up and doing a special, uh, making a special play. But, you know, we talk about these guys too, and, and obviously, to me, Watt is another level as a pass rusher. Uh, compared to the rest of these guys, but but Hayward's pretty good, and you know Bud Dupree can get after the quarterback and 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 to it as well. Uh, in fact, I, I really like to it's 
versatility and kind of how you can you can do it inside and do it outside. Um, I actually, I said this on another podcast uh, yesterday. I kind of feel like that's the the kind of piece that the Bengals are missing is a guy like that on their defensive front. Um, what happened last week? I mean, the, the Cowboys seem to keep them in check pretty well. Um, and, you know, you, you got a quarterback in there who you were not expecting to be starting games in, in Graham Gilbert. Um, and for the most part, he had the, the time he needed to, to run that offense effectively. Uh, what do they do differently? I think um, to some degree, the Steelers, I'm not sure if this is the best strategy, and I'm not entirely sure if this isn't something they're just telling people uh, mm-hmm. to, to get the sound bite, but they go extremely aggressively to stop the run. And I think it, it logically, I think it made some sense. Uh, you're going to let Garrett Gilbert beat you down the field. And to be fair, that strategy largely worked. Um, in equal downs, I don't think Gilbert did a whole lot that really freaked you out. I think they ran the ball effectively. Um, if you watch them, especially early, the Steelers were run blitzing like crazy, and none of it worked. Dallas really picked it up well. Um, you're right, though. A, a large part of the game, I think, was flipped on the fact that no matter what they did, it can destroy them. I mean, he's he's too fast. He's too quick for guards. He's just as strong and powerful as tackles, and they move him around. He's lining up in a lot of different spots. But I, I would say this, and I'm not one to, to try to question um, what coaches are doing or why they're doing them or, or say that everything is a terrible idea. But I think the Steelers were really, really afraid of their middle. I, I think you, you saw Watt, you saw Dupree oftentimes lining up a gap. They took them off the edge and they, they didn't rush to, to close the quarterback in and kind of squeeze them up front where, where one of the linemen can get them. They, they let him escape. They let him roll. They let him move around. Um, that made him probably more effective than he should have been. It was not a great pressure game for the Steelers. They, they got sacks, but not to the level that, that you're used to seeing them get. Um, a large part of that was because they were dying against the run, and it, they, they needed some more versatility. Uh, Robert Spillane has been primarily the guy who's filled in to this point for Devin Bush. Um, Robert Spillane is probably the opposite of Devin Bush in terms of and a lot of guys are, you know, that, that's why Bush is 10th overall pick and Spillane wasn't drafted. Uh, it, it, Spillane is a good football player. Spillane is not a, an ideal NFL athlete. So there was to some degree, a lot of, uh, you know, push up the field to get interior linemen released to, to get to Spillane um, well down the field. than you would have expected a guy like Bush to be able to come down and, and take on that block, uh, create more space in the middle and, and, you know, slow the running back down a little bit. They weren't able to do that as well, and you can run away from Hayward and, and kind of play cat and mouse again if Watt is in the middle of the field, which is what they did. They, they surrendered the edge. Dallas attacked the edge, and we, we saw them uh, get gains with that. That said, Dallas really didn't score much, and their points, in, in, certainly in the first half, uh, their possession, uh, where they, their, their field position, was keyed off of special teams. So that that's the kind of thing that you would, you know, <laughs> from Pittsburgh's perspective, hope that you would think about in, in planning your special teams for the week. This is a team without a running back or a quarterback and with an offensive line that's beat up. Um, they're probably going to try to do something tricky to you on special teams to flip the field. You're going to need to get plays like that uh, in order to win. So <clears throat> you hope that they would have thought about that. Maybe they didn't. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. But it, it, as far as their defense goes, it, it was not a good effort against the ground top to bottom, but there were plays in which you saw 
you know, Cam Hayward be the man that he is and just destroy the guy in front of them uh, and make plays when they had to. It, their, their defense locked down when they had to in the fourth quarter. Uh, it made Gilbert be who Gilbert is. And he, he missed on a few things that I, I'm sure he probably wanted back after watching him again. Um, but the Steelers defense came up when it had to. But on a play-to-play basis, yeah, they got beat a little bit. And, I, I, again, I think a big part of it is because the Steelers are so weak up the middle and they, they lack depth there. They lack the athleticism that they used to have. You went from a team that, that I think two games in a row, they allowed like 16 yards rushing or something uh, to, to that effect to they're giving up 160 without blinking anymore. So it, you're looking at a massive swing of difference. Uh, and it, I, I think most of it is just attributed to personnel. Uh, they're attacking Watt on the edge. He, he guesses one way or another, and they're, they're running right around him. Uh, plays like that are happening at a much higher frequency than they did early in the season. So there, there are personnel concerns. Um, you hope that they've had enough time to figure out what they need to do in the absence of Bush, and you hope to get a Lulu back for this game. Um, when they have a more stabilizing presence in the middle, I think they'll return to their ability to plan to shut down the run like they're doing. Uh, they'll sell out to stop the run and leave a lot on uh, their secondary to, to prevent most of their big plays, but they, they want to go for the rush and hit the quarterback like he's a running back um, in, in, in the backfield. That, that's really what their defense has been predicated upon the last two seasons, and I don't think they're going to deviate from that. Uh, they're just getting beat on it, in, in my opinion, uh, largely because the, the level of athleticism in their front seven has, has taken a considerable hit over the last two weeks. So I don't know how much they're able to, to fix that, um, but they can scheme around it probably a little bit better than what they did. I, I, I don't think they're happy with having to take uh, maybe the best all-around edge defender in the NFL and put him in A-gap uh, because they're, they're so bad against the run. They need to have that presence there and let him pursue one side to the other. I, I don't know if they're going to enact that plan this week, but I don't think they're real happy about the results that they saw with it either. I, I hope they enact that plan. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, if you're really selling out to stop the run, I don't, I don't think that's a bad strategy. And especially cause they, they moved him around in there. So I, I think it made it a little bit hard to, you know, figure out to declare who the Mike linebacker is. Cause he was moving around and uh, figure out where your, your double teams and combo blocks and stuff are going to and putting your best player in that position makes some sense to me. But if I'm an offensive coordinator and I see you doing that, I'm just checking to a pass. Like, I don't have to worry about <laughs> about Watt off the edge. I'm throwing the ball every time, you know? Yep, and Cincinnati's got a much better quarterback and a much better passing game than what we saw last week. That That's one of my Absolutely. biggest fears. You know, honestly, I'm not, I'm not a big gambler, but I, I look at, at Steelers minus seven right now, not being sure what their quarterback situation, not being sure that middle of that defense. I'm, I'm tempted. I don't mind that a whole lot. So I believe, it, it's, I believe the Bengals with Burrow were seven and one against the uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, against the odds. So get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May fifth, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Bro, tell me, tell me this. I mean, it, it's, it's your show. I don't want to flip hats here, but really, <laughs> have, have you seen... A, a rookie quarterback through eight games as good as Burrow, as smart as Burrow, as aware of Burrow. I, I say that because when the schedule came out, uh, everyone in Pittsburgh always assumes the Steelers are going to beat a rookie quarterback because, well, they usually do, and they have for 20 years. Burrow is not the same guy. I mean, he, he's he's different. <laughs> he's special. Um, I, yeah. I was upset with the fact the Steelers were going to play him twice after you know, twice in the second half of the year. I wanted Burrow like week one and week four. You know, that would have been better. Yeah. Uh, playing him late in the year, I, I think he's going to get one on him. I mean, he, he's he's good. And I, I think knowing the Steelers, they're going to enact the same kind of plan. We're going to make the kid throw in the ball, beat us. We're going to stop your running game. We're going to let him throw the ball. I think Burrow's going to throw 55. He's going to throw for 380 and three touchdowns. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that game comes down to the final possession. Yeah, if he does that, it, I mean, if this thing ends up being a shootout, I think that's uh, that's really good for the Bengals. I, obviously, if, if you mentioned being able to run the ball, if they can run the ball, that's awesome too. But um, but I, I could definitely see this thing being a situation where both quarterbacks are just sitting back there and and shucking it and you know combining for seven hundred or more yards. And you know, I I, I give them a fifty fifty shot in that game. I think, I think it comes down to who has the ball last, and you know if if one of the defenses can make a stop or can make a uh, can get an interception and, and do something, uh, you know that that could potentially be huge. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Burrow is he has not looked like a rookie since really week one. He, he did a couple things. Um, I, I think you're right that if the Steelers saw him in that first month, uh, like the the, the Ravens saw uh, relatively early on. That defense threw some things in and that he wasn't quite prepared for. So uh, looking at this game, this is kind of the next chance to, to see a defense that can do a lot of different things from a, a blitz pass rush perspective um, that that could throw them off. And I'm sure that their defensive coaches in Pittsburgh have watched uh, what the Ravens did to him and are going to try and send a lot of the same sort of looks at him. So, this is going to be a huge one to see how he has come along, but I'm I'm positive that not only that week, but in the bye week, he spent a lot of time on that Ravens film and, and fixing some of those issues. Uh, because honestly, some of the some of the pass pro issues that they had were really Burrow issues in in that particular game. So that's that's going to be interesting to to me to see kind of where he's taking a, a step up mentally in this game and on. On that note, you know, speaking about quarterbacks, obviously the Bengals got got the guy in Burrow. Uh, we're all very excited about that. You got Lamar in Baltimore. Uh, bit of a mixed bag with Baker. He's 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 got his moments, but um, you know, positive and negative with, with Baker. I mean, you guys, I don't. I mean, you take any two of those guys. Well, well never mind. My, my math is way off there. Uh, <laughs> just looking at the ages. I mean. These are guys that that watched Ben growing up uh, play, playing in the NFL. Uh, so Ben Ben's having a pretty good year. He's not throwing the picks that, he, that he's thrown in recent years. And uh, it, oddly enough, to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it seems like he came into this year more focused than he has been in the past couple of years, uh, and not really like playing himself into shape and and uh, you know make all the same mistakes he made 
earlier in you know in September and in, in recent years. Uh, very odd, and in, in given everything that's going on in the world uh, this year, that that he'd be so focused. But what do you, what do Steelers fans think about an aging Ben Roethlisberger and looking at the rest of the division having young uh, who? You know, two out of three, you feel very good at the quarterback of the future, I think, uh, for their teams. Uh, and then Baker, who's uh, a little bit up in the air right now, but but has definitely shown some positives. Uh, is there concern about what's going to happen when, when Baker's uh, done all of a sudden? Well, I mean, it's... I said Baker, think, I meant Ben. You know what I meant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I think in terms of the division, um, it's transitioned that perhaps... The, perhaps it, it, the division as a whole is not used to uh, over the last 10, 12, 15 years, you, you had Roethlisberger, Flacco had a long run of things. Dalton had a long run of things and Cleveland had 19 different guys. You weren't sure who they were going to play in a single week. Uh, you're used to Cleveland getting a new quarterback. You know, that, that that's not a rare thing. Um, it must just be infuriating coaching Baker Mayfield though. My God. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you watched him play against the Steelers, but oh my lord, he, no idea what he was doing. I don't think he had an idea what he was doing. Uh, what that—that's legitimately. And I, I, it's actually I can't even say this for the Browns. It's not even the worst Browns quarterback performance I've seen, but uh, it, it was the worst I've ever seen Mayfield look. And he's a much better player than what we saw in that game. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going on with him behind the ear, between the ears, but really. Um, I, I think he has better days in front of him for sure. Um, I think the arrows pointed up for, for Lamar Jackson, certainly an MVP that we've seen. Um, he's got some work to do as a passer. I think they're, they're kind of trying to figure things out offensively uh, to, to make him a better player than uh, what we're seeing so far this season. But Burrow's the one that scares you. Burrow's the, the future All-Pro. Um, he, he's going to be a player. You, you're worried about that if you're the Steelers because, yeah, Ben's you know 78 years old and they all – used him in, in Madden back in 2007, you know, when they were 10 years old, five years old, whatever. Uh, it, it's, it's a challenge in that sense. You know, there's not so much left of Roethlisberger. Um, I'll say this though. And the AFC North is a great example of it because of everything that you just said. Um, you've got three first round picks. Two of them were first overall. All of that pushes veterans onto the market. And we might not have had a, a, a great, groundswell of, of available uh, starting quarterbacks in free agency. But in comparison to the past, when there never were any, um, this is why Ryan Fitzpatrick has a job every single year. You know, he, he stays in shape and he goes out and he plays reasonable football. He's been paid uh, a low-level starting quarterback money for a decade. <laughs> you know, he's done pretty well for himself. You'd, you'd be surprised how much money that guy has earned. Um, he, he, he played for every team, I think, for the, except the Steelers at this point. Um, He's been able to do that largely because starting quarterbacks were held on to and kept for a long time. But then you had uh, the, the the Mayfield, Jackson, Rosen, um, you know, Darnold, Allen draft. These guys go in the first 32 picks. And then poor Mason Rudolph is, is an afterthought in the third round. Um, you hoped that Rudolph was going to be kind of an answer to that. I'm you know, probably leaning toward no if I'm going to bet on that right now. But there are more and more quarterbacks who are going to become available uh, in free agency in the past. I don't see a way Pittsburgh avoids that. Now, let, let's get into the salary cap issue that the Steelers have. And this is um, this is the result of a team aggressively spending to the cap, maybe 
overpaying internal guys a little bit and not a, a huge amount. You, you got to buy in support. So Marquise Pouncey on the open market might not be worth $60 million, but to you, he is because you're going to have him do this. You're going to have him play. You're going to have him be a leader. You're going to have him take the guys under his wing. You're going to have him speak to the media when there's a problem that that's what you pay a little bit extra for, for, for your captain level core guys. Um, the Steelers also don't have a problem spending probably up to about 5 million in the salary cap every single year. You throw in a nationwide pandemic that drops revenue through the floor and you're going to have to cut the salary cap $60 million. They're in a lot of trouble. I mean, that, that, that's a tough spot to be in. And it's not one that you could have predicted. It's not one you really could have prepared for. And really right now, the only thing the Steelers are going to be able to do is to, to really create any relief is to give Roethlisberger an extension. Um, that might be something you have to pay for two years down the line. But right now, um, they're far more likely to give him another year or two on his deal than they are to cut him. So there, I don't think there's a way around that. Um, that isn't to say that they're not going to have a plan and they're not going to try to do something else. They don't have the money to go out and sign even Ryan Fitzpatrick next year. So Roethlisberger has to be their guy next year um, if, if they want to have a non-Garrett Gilbert-level player starting for them next season, which I, I'm going to guess is you know probably in their best interest. Uh, all of that said, yes, you look around the division, you see a lot of, of very talented quarterbacks and very different quarterbacks uh, than what they've had to deal with in the past. So it, putting all that together, I, I think – uh, Roethlisberger is he has to be in their short-term plans for a variety of different reasons um, but he's not the same quarterback as he has been you know you, you mentioned him playing his way into shape things like that um, he came into camp in shape he played in shape he was dead by the end of the year most of the time <laughs> so you look back at like 2016 which I think is probably the best Steelers team we've seen in recent memory um, he was in, in many ways, almost more of a detriment than he was an asset uh, over the second half of the season. Le'Veon Bell carried that team down the stretch. Uh, right now, I, to me, if I'm to guess, I, I hate to say this because I, I don't know. Um, it's not anything that Roethlisberger would ever tell me. But it, it, to me, it looks like he almost knows that he doesn't have the physical ability that he used to have. Um, he does not have the arm strength that he, did, that he once did. I don't care what anybody says. Um, watch his deep passes. He's lobbing those really high up in the air. Uh, he's not throwing it on a line. Well, he's completing a lot more short. He's getting rid of the ball. I think because he can't buy himself time. He knows he doesn't have the ability to move around. Um, I think he has to rely more on the rest of his team. And I think that's not something he's done in the past. So with that comes, you know, we got to do this together, everybody in, and you're, you're seeing that result in, in success. You know, it, it's, it, I said this earlier, uh, this is a team that, that they're not the fantasy football Steelers anymore. They don't have the killer bees. Uh, they've got a lot of random guys who are all pretty young and they're scoring more points than the killer bees did consistently. So you're, you're excited about that because he really is moving the ball around. It's been somebody different every week that, that's stepping up and making plays. Uh, and with that, some of these guys are, are, are donutted throughout the game when they caught nine passes the week before Juju was an afterthought for the first half of the season. And, and he's, you know, playing like the, the type of player that, you know, he is uh, with the opportunities now that he's getting Claypool was, you know, for a, a, a hot minute there, a, a rookie of the year candidate. He barely touched the ball last week. So it, you're, you're seeing them move around a lot more than they have been. I think a lot of that is similar to what we've seen of Roethlisberger, 
but he wasn't now he's not trying to make those Superman plays all the time, in particular in the first half. He's playing very much within himself, which is not something that you're used to. Uh, and that's resulting just in more by not trying to force everything, probably taking a couple bad series here and there like they've done. Uh, they're keeping it short and eventually they're going to figure it out because I'm sure Bengals fans hate to hear this, but Ben Roethlisberger is, is truly his most underrated stat is how smart of a quarterback he is. Um, he's, you know, kind of a cowboy. He loved to get the ball down the field. He, if he's up 14 points, he's at midfield. He's throwing the ball in the end zone. He doesn't care if he turns it over or not. He's going to make that play. That That's the way he operates. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks, too. He, he had a, a, a golden opportunity uh, to put Tennessee away uh, twice in that game, and he missed it both times. Uh, interceptions that made the game a lot closer than than they probably should have been. He doesn't have the same physical ability that he used to. And for the most part, I think he's playing uh, within what he has. And the team is following that. And guys are stepping up because of that. Uh, the future in Pittsburgh certainly is not with Ben Roethlisberger, but it's going to be for the rest of this year. I don't see how they're going to get away from him next year. And I don't think it's a team that says, well, this year we'll just draft his replacement. That, that situation has to kind of present itself. And I'm not sure that it has, but I'm sure they look around free agency now and see that there are guys who can come in here and start for a year uh, if, if they need to do that. If they have to have a bridge quarterback, uh, they'll have the money free available eventually to be able to do that. And it doesn't have to be Joe Flacco. It doesn't have to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, if, if there are plenty of players and plenty of quarterbacks out there would have loved to play for Pittsburgh if that job was open this season with that defense and their ability to, to, to win the game. Um, a lot of quarterbacks could have come in and, and done very well in this system. Uh, they weren't at that point, but they're going to be soon, and there's going to be good quarterbacks uh, available in free agency that'll that'll want to come in and be able to play with the level of defense that they're going to have the next two three seasons. When you said Joe Flacco, I just had nightmare flashbacks of Neil O'Donnell playing for the Bengals. <laughs> <laughs> Neil O'Donnell in general is a nightmare, as far yeah, as I'm uh, concerned. Imagine, imagine the '90s for the, the most game. part were a nightmare for the Bengals, but uh, um, you know. Listen, listen, other guys were a little bit more exciting on offense. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, so so you don't see them, uh, you know, making a move like the like the Packers did last year and taking that developmental guy in the first round, even though they're they're going to go with Ben for another year. I, I think it, if it's there, I think they will. I, I think okay. you've got a financial question on Rudolph coming up. Um, I, I <laughs> to put it mildly, I'd be surprised if somebody offered him starting money somewhere. Um, I, I think he's on the, the Landry Jones developmental. No, actually, you're a career backup track. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, they might keep him for a year if they need somebody else to come in. But if they want somebody to start, I know they they really, really want it to be Rudolph because financially right now it would be fantastic if they could get away with a quarterback making you know a million and a half. Um, that's not going to be their reality sooner rather than later. You're not going to tag Mason Rudolph either. So um, I, no, I don't know. <laughs> no, not even close to that. And I don't know exactly what they're going to do. It's just the way that uh, Ben's contract is structured. They can't uh, restructure any of that money. They're not able to convert anything else. And they're well over the cap in, in a largely reduced cap next season. Um, I think they can saddle themselves to Ben while trying to cut the cap a little bit by adding a year to his deal and just eating the dead money when the cap goes back up to where it should be in 2022. Um, that's a, a risky venture for sure, but I, I don't, you know, sometimes in the NFL, there's not much you can do. He, he, quarterback's going to cost a lot. Uh, he's going to hit your cap pretty hard. That, that's just the way it goes. 
um, except in Cincinnati when you're going to have an all pro player making, you know, three and a half million a year that that's, you know, the clock is ticking on that though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> already started. Got to love that. It, it, I, they have options that are available. Um, I don't think the situation is as bleak. Um, they just haven't had a season in which they're able to draft Joe Burrow, uh, the prospect of, of Baker Mayfield to have to give up assets to trade back up in a down year to, to, to take Lamar Jackson. Um, these types of things tend to happen when, you know, your team didn't do so well the year before. And in many cases, it, it's attributed to a quarterback who didn't play well. So the Steelers aren't having that this season. They were able somehow to, to overcome it last year. Um, they're able to find a, a quarterback that can come in and play. And frankly, any general manager that says otherwise shouldn't be in their position. Uh, you're, you're able to do that. There are guys out there that can play well um, that, that aren't going to cost you a, a 2-14 and 14 season in order to get Ideally, that's the kind of guy you want. I mean, the, this division is the perfect example of it. Um, you, you are terrible and draft a great player like the Bengals did. You're terrible and draft an all right player like the Browns did. Or you get creative and accept the fact that you need a quarterback and you need to build your team around them like the Ravens did. Uh, the Steelers haven't had to face that exactly yet. But yeah, that, that time is definitely coming very soon. Uh, it's interesting with the the Ravens. So Lamar was a polarizing figure, um, and I think there was a maybe a lack of creativity from a lot of people that um, that scared them off from him. Um, this year, obviously, the big names are Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, but a name that was getting a lot of a, a lot of buzz coming into the year was Trey Lance from from North Dakota State. So. Now you've got an FCS quarterback who's only played one game in the last year. I mean, how high can that guy possibly go? An like, FCS I mean, quarterback it, it, who's leaving early and has only started 13, 14 games in his career. I mean, what what a world, you know? Yeah, right. Wow. It's amazing how much things have changed. <laughs> I mean, uh I, I don't I mean, not to get not to get you too excited, but like you think that's a guy that the, the NFL might be a little bit afraid of be, because of that limited experience and and where he played, uh, and maybe that's a guy you can you can sneak in at the end of the first round. I believe it or not, I've, I've been following Trey Lance for a while here just because <laughs> I kind of thought um, by the end of his four years, I I, I saw him as a first round pick. Um, I watched Carson Wentz play. Carson Wentz is, is much more of your, your prototypical NFL quarterback, I think, than Lance is. Um, but with Wentz, I mean, there, there's a whole backstory with Wentz. Um, he, he broke his wrist uh, or something happened to his shoulder, maybe, before his junior football season. So he didn't play and he didn't have tape to, to really show anybody. In that time, he grew from like 6'1 to 6'5. He got bigger. <laughs> And then he only played in this small school uh, for a little while his senior year after a lot of you know commits have already gone up. Um, NDSU got him just from, from down the road, um, Fargo to, to, to Bismarck. Uh, he comes into NDSU at, at, at a time where they're winning national championships with Brock Jensen, who's still to this day probably the, the best quarterback that NDSU has had uh, in, at, at the college level. Uh, obviously the college level, but for, for who they are, the dynasty that they have, Jensen was probably the best one overall. Wentz wasn't going to start over him, but you ask people inside the program, they all knew that Wentz was better than Jensen. It was just, you're not going to bench the two time defending national champion quarterback in his senior year. You know, you you can't do that. But NDSU uh, that season (laughs) stopped allowing 
um, FBS coaches to watch their practices because they didn't want one of them to see Wentz. And then Wentz got hurt again uh, when he was in college. So he didn't have a whole lot of exposure going into it. But his junior year, when he played, it was like, oh, my God, he's way better than everybody else on the field. He's huge. He's got a cannon arm. He's good. And they're, they're running pro stuff for him. You know, they're, they're like this is a draft pick. And you, you could tell that uh, with Trey Lance. You saw him play one game. It's like, yep, <laughs> if Wentz did this, Lance is going to do it. Um, I don't think, though, and, and I, you know, I, I kick myself for this because I feel so I feel like a traitor. But he did not he hasn't deserved the hype. I think he's gotten. And if you want to go through it, it it's really an example on. Uh, social media analysts, um, alleged draft writers, they're all trying to one-up each other on who can provide the most hype for the player that they think nobody's heard of. And with Lance, it went from Mel Kuyper mentioning him once to (laughs) Matt Miller calling him the second pick in the draft to somebody else calling him the, the, you know, the second best prospect behind Lawrence that we've ever seen. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. All right, I watched every game that Trey Lance played. I know I, before any of that, I knew exactly who he was as a player. I understand that he didn't throw an interception. That does not mean he did not throw a pass that shouldn't have been intercepted. Um, it, it's horrendously misleading at the FCS level to talk about a quarterback who's that good. Nobody can intercept him. Um, <clears throat> it's also instructive to point out that in the national championship game last season, against a, a, a good defensive team in James Madison, Trey Lance ran the ball 30 times. Okay, you you want to you want a running quarterback with the second overall pick? Is that really what you're going to do? Um, he's not the player that many draft Knicks think that he is, and the reason they do that is because they they want to create the adversary to Lawrence. They want to create another option to this you know fantastic prospect that you know it, nobody has not indicated is is the greatest thing that's ever lived. Um, that's not Trey Lance. Frankly, for me, that's Justin Fields. Um, Lance, though, I don't think he gets out of the top 10 just simply because he, had, he has way too much potential. There are too many good things that you see with him. But even in the one game that NDSU planned to play, essentially to set up him and, and left tackle Dylan Radens for, for their, their future draft slots, um, he played terribly. He, that was without question his worst game as, as a collegiate. Um, he didn't look very good to me. He really didn't to a point where it's like, all right, he's trying to make these pro throws and he's missing pretty badly on him. He was much better the previous year. This is his audition. This is the one game he's going to play before he declares, you know, exactly what that's why they're doing it. You'd think he would have been a little bit sharper. And I think his competition probably would have been at that same level. Uh, I I didn't see that from him, but I think he is an excellent talent. He's only getting better. Uh, He's a kid. I mean, he's barely played. He's 20 years old. He's a great prospect. He should not be playing in the NFL next season, but he absolutely will be drafted before pick 11 uh, simply because of the talent that he is. Um, whoever that will be, um, you look back, you know, you don't need to draft number one to get a great player. Uh, there, there are a lot of great quarterbacks in the NFL right now that were not drafted at number one, um, including the King, who might be the, the best we've ever seen once all said and done. If you want him, Pittsburgh, you need to trade up from 27, 28, like Kansas City did to get that Patrick Mahomes guy. So it, to me, I, I think he is that kind of prospect. And at some point, unless you want to go one in 15, you're going to have to give up assets to move up to, to get a great quarterback. And to me, 
the AFC North shows that. And I think Pittsburgh is going to have to be more like Baltimore as opposed to what Cleveland and Cincinnati did to get the players that they have. They're, they're going to have to move up. Um, that said, we know what we've seen of Lance on the field. There are a lot of other things that are going to come out. Um, how much we can analyze the 13, 14 games that he's had. I can't help but say it wasn't long ago everyone wanted Mitch Trubisky to be so good after starting for a year, and, and look how well that went. So uh, I, 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 you know, even me, a, a gigantic Bison guy that, that loved Trey Lance the second I, I saw him, I'm not sure he's the prospect that people want to think that he is, but I just think it, it's too valuable of a position to think he's going to get out of the top 10, but he's not going to be the third pick in the draft, in my opinion. I thought it was kind of crazy when, uh, when the uh, geez, I have Summit League in my head, but that's not the football <laughs> conference. Geez, I'm, 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 you know, when I was there, it was the Great West. Uh. <laughs> wow, yeah, geez, that was that was right after my Division Two days. They were Division One the, the year after I left. But football, the football's Missouri Valley, basketball's the Summit. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so the yeah they went Missouri Valley a few years after that. So yep. Um, but yeah, actually, my, my my last the last game that I uh, coached at South Dakota State as a graduate assistant uh, was for the de facto conference championship against North Dakota State, and and we won the uh, won the border marker in uh, two thousand seven. So yeah, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know you were coaching there. Um, God, Coach Stieg, man, he he was still there when I was there, and that was without question the best interview of of the season. Everybody showed up to the press conference when he was going to be speaking. That guy is the greatest. Oh, I, uh, so happy to see you know that what? he's been successful. He says a lot of things that a lot of other coaches say, but he means it. You yep. know, like every, every everything that that he says, and you know, all the all the religious talk and all the talk about caring about people and looking out for people, like one hundred percent genuine. And, and yeah, you you know, he kind of. He kind of fell into being a Division One coach because he would have been happy being a Division Two coach at South Dakota State his whole career, uh, you know. But you don't find that genuine guy uh, in a head coaching position at, at, at that level very often. Yeah, he he, he really is a great guy. Um, it's such a great story too. You know, I mean, everyone, nobody else, especially in, in Brooking, South Dakota, you're not going to keep the, the the lifer guy at this level. Um, and it's not even you know. Well, I'll do respect. It's not even like South Dakota State was a dominant. Uh, division two program you no know, they're, they, they're a much better division one program yeah and it's like all of a sudden now he's got the second best program in in, in fcs and where did that come from you know it, it's it's insane i, I think it, it's you know obviously i'm i'm you know pro bison here but it, it's it's such a great story to see both of them kind of jump in and evolve into what they are to a point where South Dakota State, you know nobody nobody would disagree with this south dakota state's got at least two titles if ndsu isn't there so you're looking at, you know, a, a, a rivalry of epic proportions that people just won't know about. And the, the fact that, that Coach Teague is still there uh, doing what he's doing, it, it's great. I love to see it. I just, he was a great guy. There was, you know, say what you will about the Division II level, but you emphasize kind of more of that stuff. And everything I've heard is exactly what you said. It, it, he's the same guy. It's still, still the same thing. You know, talking with, with media colleagues um, back in Brookings, they all say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, hundred one, hundred hundred percent genuine guy. I, you know, coming out of that when when the conference did shut down for the year, there were a lot of like you said, kind of draft people on Twitter and stuff talking about Trey Lance transferring, and to me that would have been absolutely insane for him because uh, you're not gonna look look at Joe Burrow like 
Joe Burrow was a day three pick in his first year at LSU. You know, it, you you put Trey Lance in in a Big Twelve offense uh, and have him show up in August. You know, like he's not going to look like like he should. You know, if, if he had a, if he redshirted for a year, if he wanted to stick around and, and delay going to the NFL, yeah, sure. You know, in that in that second year, just like Burrow, I'm sure he'd he'd be able to turn some heads a little bit. But um, yeah, that's you know, kind of another uh, take that didn't make any sense to me. Wasn't really thinking about the big picture. You know, it's that's, yeah, I don't, that's Drew and trades on Madden. That's not how the real world works. I, honestly, <laughs> I I don't see how there wasn't a scenario in which transferring would have been a, a good option, let alone even the best option. Um, there's no re he, he put it on tape. He's got it on tape. He's got the hype. They all know who he is. He's got nowhere to go, but down, you know, um, not being the first overall pick. is not a terrible thing, especially when the New York jets are, are involved, you know, <laughs> let, let Lawrence go there. You can go to another team. It, it's more of the fact I, I look at it like this, uh, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, change the draft and we're going to see this in 20 years the same way that the manning versus leaf uh debate and eventual disaster changed the draft you can get those quarterbacks if you're willing to to give up assets for them if you're willing to bring them in and and, and change around uh, the things that you're doing and from from lance's perspective uh in this era of the collective bargaining agreement it doesn't make a difference if you go number one overall because financially it doesn't matter there's no real difference you're you're losing some money but not enough to say a team in, in the twenties trading up to come and paying me, you know, a little bit less over four years and then paying me a mint is, is a less situation than being number one overall and getting to say I was number one overall. Who cares? You don't get a trophy for that. Anyway, if you're not getting Sam Bradford money coming out of college, go to the team that can play, go to the team that has something around them. Trevor Lawrence. I, I hate this hype too. I think it's, it's absolute nonsense. Lawrence is not going back to college to avoid playing with the jets. Okay. It's just not going to happen. Um, he's going to be the jets. Pick and <laughs> I, I got to I gotta laugh at that because Bengals fans had to deal with that for a year. Oh, that, I, that's, they, they, that's exactly <laughs> why. That's exactly why it's like, well, you know, if the Bengals draft him, then you just might not sign. Like he can't, you really can't. Well, you know, technically he can, like that's stupid. Okay. Yeah. He can, you're right. He can be a complete idiot and find another career or he can do what he was born to do. You know, he's going to do it with the Bengals, whether you think the Bengals are good or not, that's going to happen. All right. Lawrence is going to do the same thing. And you're exactly right. It's no different than it was last year. Uh, probably not at this time, but uh, postseason, it's no different than, than Burrow with the Bengals. Lawrence is going to play with the jets. He's number one overall, but that doesn't mean, and yes, I'm, I'm tooting my team's horn here, but it, it Pittsburgh trades up to draft Trey Lance. Do you think Trey Lance is not super excited? He's going to be happy mm -hmm. to be at 10 overall to, to play with the Steelers. That's a stable organization that has good things going for it. The next two, three years, he's not going to have the pressure to have to come in right away, but he's still going to be paid and he can still learn what he's doing. He, he's going to want to get out on the field because he's a competitor, but you can't say, getting thrown into the fire in week one is somehow better than sitting a year and kind of figuring out how everything works. It, it, he knows he's not very experienced. You know, mm -hmm. he doesn't have a whole lot of snaps. There's work that he needs to do. That's a great place for him to go. You know, he, he's going to be happy about that. That's what this era of the collective bargaining agreement is going to show over time. Cause now that, that's exactly why Kansas city traded up to get Mahomes. It's no different than that. A, a, a well-run organization with a good infrastructure. We don't need the quarterback right now, but we recognize how good this one is. We're going to build him the way that we want to build him. And eventually we're going to pay him, but we don't need year one. We can redshirt him. We have that ability. The jets don't have that ability right now. 
there are other teams in the league that don't look like they have that ability. Um, the, the fact that Lance is in prime position to be traded up for, because you can't go from 25 to one, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, that's not going to happen. 25 to 10 is extremely expensive. Uh, there, there are teams that have the ability to do that. You know, the Patriots are, are the easiest choice right now for a guy like Lance, and they might be in, in a good position to be able to draft him without giving up anything uh, when it's all said and done. But that's a great situation to be in. Um, he's coming out because 10 right now is better than one next year. It's that simple. And I, I, for the, the idea of him transferring schools to risk injury to go somewhere else so he can be the, you know, the, the savior of the 1-15 in 15 team, whichever that's going to be next year, it just seems like nonsense to me. I've never understood that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I'd like to thank my guest today, Neil Kulong. I'd also like to thank all of you that stuck it out through uh, the two of us geeking out over uh, Missouri Valley football. Uh, <laughs> probably not uh, um, probably not what most of you came for but uh, but I appreciate it and, and yeah definitely some good uh, talk about some future quarterback prospects here coming out uh, Neil where can people follow you and find your work uh, on Twitter is, is really where I'm, I'm at nowadays I oversee the network I manage the writers who were there I, I started Steelers Wire um, God, over five years ago now it's crazy and from there we, we built uh, team sites for uh, every other team in the NFL, we've got a couple college sites as well. Um, Joe Burrow fans can check out LSU Wire um, and Bengals Wire as well, of course. Um, Chris Rowling is our Bengals editor. I mm-hmm. personally find to be one of the best, uh, certainly in that space, if not one of the best in the business of what he does. Uh, Chris is a great guy, diehard Bengals fan, and true story, too. I'll even remind him of that probably this week. I fired Chris three times during Steelers-Bengals games, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping to... <laughs> to dial that back a, a, a few notches. But it, for me, it's Neil Kulong on Twitter. Uh, Chris Rowling is Chris Rowling on Twitter. Uh, two guys you should definitely follow if uh, you're in the market for uh, some fun rivalry stuff this week. Fun, fun fact, I was once fired in the middle of a game over the headsets and then rehired <laughs> on, on the bus ride home. Uh, rehired via text message on the bus ride home. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Bengals fans, just a reminder that uh, this game has been flexed. Uh, it's national television, 425 Eastern time. So that means that our live pregame tailgate show on YouTube and Facebook will be at 330 this weekend, uh, leading you up to the game, getting you ready to go. So make sure you check us out there. Who day? Yeah, we coming forward You hear the crowd coming forward What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.